Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. Here online, as we begin our worship, let's simply ask God to open our hearts up to his word, this beautiful description of the beautiful life that Jesus gives as he begins his conversation with folks there on the side of the mountain in Matthew 5. Ah, Lord God, how good it is to encounter you, to be found by you and drawn in by you. So do that with us right here online, that you'd open up these words of yours, Jesus, to us. That we not just hear them and and remember them, but be changed by them. Renewed by them. To know you, ourselves, and others be restored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. I'm reading from Matthew 5 this morning um, from the Message Bible. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, Count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort 
and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do, and all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? I love that Jesus is into metaphor. And he's into metaphor because he's into conversation and questions and dialogue and having us live all of our life with him imaginatively and practically. And so this week we come to one of Jesus' metaphors, the metaphor of salt, where he tells us that we are the salt of the earth as we live this beautiful life he invites us into. We've been listening in since April to these opening blessings to Jesus' longer conversation, again, the Sermon on the Mount, that he describes not just what people do, he describes who people are, the character that he's building and growing in us as we connect with him and each other and begin to live life with him. That it all begins with us recognizing that in and of ourselves, we, we have nothing, but God has everything and he gives generously. We come to God and we receive his kingdom of heaven in recognizing our poverty of spirit and his rich generosity. And at that point then we, we mourn. Those who mourn and grieve are blessed and receive comfort because we recognize that this world is broken and is in need, which then leads us to use the strength we do have as a gift, gently and for others, and to, to hunger and thirst for a rightness and a goodness that we don't have yet, but we know that God intends to give. And so as we move on, we are merciful because we've received mercy and receive still more as we give. We are pure in heart because God has made us clean in the core of our being and begin to see God more and more clearly day by day. We're peacemakers reweaving the fabric of ourselves and society around us, the whole earth, in fact, and become known as children of the God of peace and shalom and wholeness. And then, yes, we are going to be opposed, persecuted, but the kingdom of heaven will belong to those who are opposed for rightness, opposed for living this beautiful life. Jesus invites us into. Which brings us back to Jesus' metaphor. He says that you, plural, you all are the salt of the earth. You who live this beautiful life I've just described are the salt of the earth. And again, we understand that this is a metaphor. We're not literally grains of sodium chloride. Some aspects of this metaphor are immediately obvious to us. We all enjoy, most of us, salt on potato chips. We enjoy the flavor, the tang of salt, and we recognize that salt changes the flavor of other foods. Chemically, it obscures on our taste buds the bitter flavor, and so 
for instance, a, a little salt on grapefruit, and it's a whole new world. Other flavors in other foods are dramatically accentuated with just, again, a little bit of sodium chloride. And so we understand this metaphor on the level of flavor pretty, pretty quickly, pretty easily. Tasteless food is just not that exciting, and a tasteless life is no better. And so we, as the salt of the earth, introduce new complexities, new goodnesses, to use a word, to this earth that would not exist apart from the people of God. We are the salts of the earth, says Jesus. The great African missiologist Laman Sana comments on this flavoring effect of the gospel, the flavoring effect of this beautiful life, when he said that the gospel of Jesus let the Africans be African. He himself was from West Africa and had all kinds of very valid, rightful critiques of European missionaries. And that's not what he was saying, but he was saying that Jesus, the message of the gospel, in a unique way, let the Africans be African in a way that other religious systems simply did not. That Jesus, in his arrival into African cultures, and indeed any culture, accentuates the flavor that's already in that culture. That the gospel comes in, lets the Africans be more fully and truly African. Persians be more Persian, the Thai be more Thai, to bring out the richness and flavor, the beauty that is in each culture of the world. But it's not just flavor. We also get that this metaphor would include preserving. We see the ways that salt preserves things, preserves food in particular. When I was a kid, I was a big, 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 big fan of dill pickles. I couldn't even count the number of times that my mom would expect there to be a full jar of pickles and would instead find the refrigerator completely cleaned out. Empty jar, green water, because you, you take this cucumber, which is lovely in and of itself, but on the counter it's only going to last a few days, and in the refrigerator not much more, but you take this humble cucumber and submerge it in brine, uh, hopefully with some garlic and some dill, and it's transformed, and not just transformed in its flavor, it's preserved. It'll last for months, properly canned, years, and it's lovely. The same thing is true, of course, of meats. I grew up in a largely vegetarian family for a season, and I gotta tell you, the very first time I had beef jerky, this is a, a significant memory for me, a whole new world. You could take meat and salt it, dry it out, and it is just wonderful. We have so many ways of preserving food, we forget how essential salt was to any kind of preservation in the ancient world. Right? We, we can preserve fresh food for a very long time on the commercial side of things by putting it in a room filled with nitrogen. On our own, and in our homes, we can preserve food by simply you know, putting it in the refrigerator. Or we can put it in the freezer. Yes, we can dry things. Uh, you can buy a dehydrator and do your own stuff at home. 
Or of course you can freeze dry things if you want to call it food still at that particular point in the process. But the point is we have lots of ways of doing things that don't necessarily include salt. Even canning was not an option in the ancient world because they couldn't exclude the air from the food in the canning process. The only ways they had of preserving things were drying or salting, and usually both. They could ferment things in brine, they could salt things heavily to dry it out, but salt was essential if anything was going to be preserved. If you lived in ancient Jerusalem, or ancient Judea, or ancient Galilee, your choice for vegetables was either to eat them fresh, or eat them pickled. Those were the only two options. There was no frozen food aisle at the supermarket. If you wanted fish, you either lived right next to the Sea of Galilee or you ate salt fish because wagons are just not that fast to get the fish to market. And on and on and on, any meat you ate was going to be either freshly butchered or salted. Salt preserves. And for those folks who were there on the side of the mountain engaging with Jesus, they got that. The salt of the earth is going to preserve the earth. I've seen this preserving effect of the beautiful life firsthand. When I lived for eight years in Pomona, California, there were a number of us who were investing in the, the lives of kids in the community. And Digging into the statistics for the school district, we realized that um, for uh, just in general, the, the two high schools that we were most connected with, only about one third of any class of eighth graders could be reliably counted on to graduate from high school four years later. And no, that's not a typo. It was about one third of the eighth graders would graduate from high school in four years. And by the grace of God, we did figure out ways to have an academic effect. And over my eight years there, a number of us put a lot of time and effort into it. And we figured some stuff out. We, we learned how to help these kids succeed academically. So much so that uh, the class that graduated um, a couple years after I left, that first class from, that we had started with in elementary school, they all graduated. 100% of them graduated. One of them in five years instead of four, but they all graduated. But in the mercy and grace of God, we got to see more than just an academic effect, as important as that is. About three years into my time there, was at a social event and met a teacher at one of the local elementary schools, at one of the two schools we had the most kids in. And he's a great guy, I got to chatting, and at a certain point my curiosity and, um, you know, desire for affirmation got the better of me. And so I asked him, like, so, do you see any difference in the kids in our program compared to right, other kids in the neighborhood? And his first answer actually was, was pretty disappointing. He's, uh, yeah, short answer, no. He kind of half chuckled and he said, well, I, I don't want to disappoint you, but no, I, there isn't a huge difference in the academic success of your kids. But he continued, but I know right away at the beginning of the school year, within a few days, which kids are in your program because they handle life better. <laughs> and as disappointed as I was, 
to hear that you know, we weren't making as much difference at that point as we wanted to, and as much difference as we would later on as we figured things out. I was so encouraged that in the kids being loved and meeting Jesus, they were beginning to live a noticeably more beautiful life, such that just a few days into the school year, a teacher would be able to spot them and the whole classroom be changed by their presence in it. But it's not just that salt flavors and it's not just that salt preserves. <laughs> In our modern era, where for most of us, the big thing about salt is trying to eat less of it, there's one aspect that we may or may not be aware of, and that is that salt is actually absolutely essential for life. Uh, a few years back, I read this book by Mark Kolansky, Salt, A World History, and um, delightful reading. If you're looking for something for the summer, highly recommend. But he points out very helpfully at the beginning of the book how chloride, sodium chloride, which is common table salt, chloride is essential for digestion and respiration. Without sodium, which the body cannot manufacture, the body would be unable to transport nutrients or oxygen, transmit nerve impulses, or move muscles, including the heart. Salt is essential for life. In the religious system, the temple sacrificial system in the Old Testament, this connection between salt and life itself was constantly reinforced as salt was to be included in several of the religious sacrifices in the temple system. And the idea was that salt represents the covenant promise of God that sustains all life. And yes, this part of the metaphor of salt is incredibly obscure to us, but it would not have been obscure to anyone who is listening to Jesus there on the side of the mountain. Because every faithful Jew who had ever traveled to Jerusalem to bring food offerings to the sanctuary, to the temple, would have included salt with that offering of food. And every faithful Jew would have understood what that represented. The enduring nature of salt, the enduring nature of God's covenant of love, the necessity for life of the salt and the necessity for life of God's faithful love for us. The salt that infuses and preserves and flavors everything else. Likewise, the love of God, which infuses and flavors and preserves everything in everyday life. This was not an obscure part of the metaphor for them, and it's one that we would do well to richly recapture. In this metaphor, Jesus is saying something huge that just as God in his sovereign purposes has made life dependent on salt, sodium chloride, and just as God in his purposes has distributed sodium chloride in various ways, not evenly, but in various ways throughout the earth, so God intends for us, his people who are living out this beautiful life, to be scattered throughout the earth, salting, 
giving life to, representing God's covenant promises to the whole earth. We are the salt of the earth. Salt flavors, salt preserves, Salt is essential for life. And there's at least one other aspect of this metaphor that is important for us to see. And that is that salt creates thirst. As we live this beautiful life in connection with Jesus, our lives are going to awaken in both ourselves and in others, a thirst for Jesus. Tim Keller, tells the story of a woman he met after worship one week at his church, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. And he's just meeting people in the back and comes up to her and doesn't recognize her. So, you know, he introduced himself like, hi, I'm Tim. And hi, I'm so-and-so. And he says, like, I don't think I've seen you here before. Are, are you new with us? And she says, well, yes, yes. I've only been here for, for three weeks. And I'm not sure how much of this I, I believe really, but glad to be here. And so he responds with, well, how did you, how did you meet us? How did you connect with us? At which point she tells the story of her boss at work and a big mistake that she had recently made at work. The kind of um, career ending mistake, actually. Nothing illegal, but the kind of thing that tends to end one's employment uh, for a mid-career person. But she, in the aftermath of this mistake, instead of her being blamed for this, which it was, it was really her fault, her boss actually stepped into the situation, said, my fault, my fault, shielded her entirely and took all the blame on himself. And so knowing that this never happens, right? In fact, quite the opposite. Normally a boss takes the credit for things that people underneath him or her do and takes uh, the blame and shoves it elsewhere when it really was the supervisor's fault. So she goes to her, her supervisor and says, why do you do this? Why did you do this for me? This never happens. To which he responded like, well, look, you've only been here a little while. This really would have been bad for you. And I've been here for quite a while. I have a lot of credit. I, people respect me. People trust me. So I can take it. You couldn't. So, which didn't really answer her question, right? And so she went again, another round with him and like, no, no. Why did you do this? There's no reason why you needed to take the heat for me. And yet you did. To which he responded, well, since you pressed me, the reason I did this is I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Jesus took all of my blame for me. And so this was a chance to take the blame for somebody else. At which point she responded, where do you go to church? And she was in worship that very next Sunday. And think with me for just a moment of just how much the beautiful life was on display in this particular supervisor. He was humble. He recognized that he needed Jesus and that Jesus had in fact taken the blame for him. He mourned the wrong that had been done, but then stepped in with his resources to gently protect and provide for, for this particular woman. He was merciful absolutely merciful in this situation. He saw God 
in this situation and saw the opportunity for him to do for her what Jesus had done for him. He made peace, shalom, in this situation. And then the thirst that he had for God and for rightness awakened a thirst and a hunger in her for rightness, to learn more about this Jesus that would do this for her. And friends, this is what is on offer for us as we live out the beautiful life in the things of everyday life, in our schools, in our workplaces, at the gym, at the park, with our neighbors, wherever we have the opportunity. We will not only encounter God ourselves, but awaken a hunger and a thirst in others and have the opportunity to speak of the one we know. Friends, may this be true of us, that we are gifted and graced with a beautiful life and become salt for the world around us. Amen.